For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. There's not a lot of joy in Starkville. I can share that with you. I've been you know, kind of neglecting to record this show for a while because I wanted to get my thoughts together. But, uh, yeah, it's disappointing. I mean, it's, it's beyond disappointing because uh, – I think in many respects, we have become so accustomed and in some ways probably spoiled in you know, the last several years to expect June baseball. And, and as it stands right now, Mississippi State's going to need a miracle. And that means winning the SEC tournament. I cannot see a path to an at-large bid. I mean, even if you sweep the final two series, and that's probably the only thing that could even get you back in the conversation is, is if you sweep – because uh, that would, you know, get you right there to, uh, to 500. But uh, the reality of it is, is based on the teams that we're going to be playing the next two weekends, chances of us sweeping anybody are pretty slim. You know, we talked last week. I thought we'd win the series. I didn't think we'd sweep. Were we capable of sweeping? I thought probably yes. But I think after watching those two teams play this weekend, you know, we are two teams this year going in two different directions. And, uh, you know, Florida, we knew they would be talented. They weren't picked – uh, to win the SEC by many people just on an accident. They have not played up to their potential, but uh, we certainly haven't. And I, I really thought when you get down to it, they looked more talented than us. You know, they, they had some guys who get clutch hits. We didn't. They owned the ninth inning. That's what great teams do. That's what good teams do. That's what really good teams do. Mediocre teams kind of hope the other team loses the game rather than them going out and winning the game. And sometimes that's kind of how it's been for us this year. You know, we've kind of needed some help from the other team in order to win a game. I'm not going to sit here and have a uh, funeral procession. I'm not going to sit here and be all down in the mouth. But like all of you, I'm very disappointed. It's been a very disappointing year. And you can say, hey, listen, the bullpen hadn't been there. We knew that it was going to be a challenge in the bullpen from the very beginning of the year. And some would say, well, you know, Steve – we shouldn't have moved Landon Sims in the bullpen to the starting role. You know, that, that's, that's easy to say. It is. You know, he was recruited with the understanding 
that at some point he'd have the opportunity to be a starter. This is what he wanted. And there's no guarantee of when it's going to happen. You know, we want to sit here and blame the injury on the fact that he was a starter. And that's just, you know, there's no science to support that. I know it's an easy talking point because you say, well, you know, the bullpen was so much worse without him. And that's true. You know, but sometimes you got to make a deal. You get a guy to come to school. It's a lot different in football, much different. But the reality of it is, is that Mississippi State Bulldogs were swept over the weekend. And uh, we walked away on Saturday, you know, listen, and let's be honest about this, okay? The strikes on Saturday was terrible. But that's not why we lost. That's not why we lost. It was terrible. It was. We're not going to beat anybody one nothing. It's not going to happen. We just don't have the pitching to beat somebody one nothing. I thought we did get have a couple guys that really pitched well this weekend, and unfortunately we couldn't get the run support. You know, but our injuries have been on the pitching side of things. You know, I look back at this weekend. I you know I I see the offensive struggles as the bigger issue. I mean, yeah, we didn't close out a couple games late. But the reality of it is you make those high-stress innings because of the fact that you didn't play well offensively. And that's the thing nobody really saw this year. You know, we really thought this would be a very offensive team. We've hit a lot of home runs, but we can't string hits together. We can't put together the big inning, again, without a little help, whether it be a walk or a hit batsman or an error. The next thing you know, somebody runs into one, it's a two- and three-run bomb. But we have not been the team offensively we expected to be. Now, I'm not going to sit here and rest the mantle of that disappointment on the foot of the defeat of Jake Gotro. He is the same guy just under a year ago that we were all sweating out. Potentially, he may leave us to go to Texas A&M or go be the head coach at TCU. Same dude. Same dude. But the reality of it is, is we have not produced the way that we had hoped. And we're paying for it. And we're, not, we're going to miss June baseball for the first time since 2015, barring a miracle. Can't be there every year. But I think we still had a team capable of getting there, even with the, uh, you know, the injuries. I mean, the offense has to kind of pick up the slack there, and we just hadn't done that. But the reality of it is, it is a disappointing year. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no way you can sugarcoat it. The Diamond Dogs have not lived up to their potential this year. Yes, we've had some adversity. That has only compounded the issue. But you look around the league, there are a lot of teams that have had some adversity and lost some, some big-time pitchers, including the team that just swept us, Hunter Barco, considered by many to be one of the top left-handers in this draft pool. He's done for the year. Didn't stop Florida from sweeping us. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show. I love Bulldog Burger Company. You will, too. If you haven't been there recently, let me encourage you to go by and check them out. Some new items on the menu. The next time I go, I'm having that Nashville hot chicken sandwich. I like a chicken sandwich. Maybe we'll have that tonight. I enjoy going. I enjoy getting it to go. You know, that was one of the things, too, that I kind of learned uh, you know, during quarantine. Sometimes you can get a great restaurant-quality meal, go pick it up, bring it home, you know, heat it up a little bit, have a great meal right there at home. I encourage you to work with the fine folks at Bulldog Burger Company, whether it be a night out with friends or a night out with family or perhaps a lunch date or whatever. Bulldog Burger Company has something on the menu for you. It all points to the day. Bulldog Burger Company now has three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, of course, the newest one, 
Lake Harbor Drive there in central Mississippi down in the Flowood, Ridgeland area. Be sure and go check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's jump into these ball games because there's some things that happens in these games that get you beat. They don't always show up in a box score. You know what I'm saying? There's just some things out there that happen over the course of a ball game. In the moment, don't seem like a big deal, but in hindsight, they do. So let's take this Friday game. You know, and I, one of the things that I've learned about baseball, too, is uh, in the Southeastern Conference, you get down six, seven runs, chances of you winning, pretty slim. Pretty slim. All right, top of first. And uh, we did not get a good version of Brandon Smith. And Brandon's been really good for us the last month. Did not have a good outing. I thought he got out there and competed and did the best he could, but he didn't have very good command. Left a couple balls up, and he paid for it. Uh, Langford takes a single on the third, fourth pitch of the game and goes to second on a wild pitch. We walk Thompson. We walk Fabian, and all of a sudden, bases are loaded, nobody out. Uh, Ryan Pelly with a single back up the middle. He had a huge weekend. Ended up being one of the SEC players of the week. Drives in the two runs. And then Brandon kind of bore down from here. Uh, Rivera strikes out swinging. Caglione, a fielder's choice there. And then uh, Kaleo reaches on a fielder's choice, and they force the runner at second. So even though we give up uh, bases loaded, nobody out, we give up the two runs there. And, uh, again, a clutch hit. Bottom of one, State fails to answer a 1-2-3 inning for the Bulldogs. Jaeger lines out to first, hit the ball well. And James grounds out to short Hancock. Grounds out to the pitcher. Very, very quick inning for them. I believe just five pitches. Five pitches. All right, top of second. Halter then uh, flies out to left. Fabian strikes out looking. So, you know, we're, we're two outs, right? Got a chance to get out of this thing, get right back in the dugout. We give up the home run to Langford. We walk Thompson. Fabian with an infield single then. And then Rapelli homers to right field, makes it 6 nothing. You start thinking, you know, hey, we got a lot of ball game left. But you look up and there's six runs up on the board and you begin to think about how anemic our offense has been at times. And you're going against a Friday night starter, even though he's a guy that's been moved up a day because of an injury. And you begin to kind of realize, you know what, this, this is not going to go well for us. Bottom of second, again, we have a chance to answer. We don't. One, two, three inning. Tanner pops up to first. Hines flies out to left. And then Cumbus strikes out swinging. Top of third, Smith still in the ballgame. It's kind of like a Preston Johnson deal we had up at Ole Miss, where it's like, you know what, we, we give up some, some runs early, but let's try to save some arms for the rest of the weekend. We get a one, two, three inning. Caglione flies out uh, to left. Uh, Kaleo grounds out to third, and Halter strikes out swinging. So we keep them off the board there. Maybe we can hold the game in place here for just a little bit and give our offense a chance to get going. Bottom of third. Bulldogs still without a hit. Clark strikes out swinging. Davis strikes out swinging. Forsyth then walks. I thought Lane Forsyth may have had the best offensive weekend of all the Bulldogs. Jaeger grounds out to third. Top of four, a little adversity here, but we're able to kind of get around it thanks to a good defensive play. Fabian pops up to first. We walk Langford and walk Thompson. And that's just not, that's just not Brandon. You know, Brandon's a guy, too, when he went into the starting rotation, it only allowed two walks all year. He nearly walked as many in this ballgame as he has the entire year. Which is, he just didn't have it, and that happens sometimes in baseball. Fabian then grounds into a double play. Nice play there. Uh, and then they reviewed the play to see if he was, in fact, in contact with second base. 
I think this kind of boiled down to whatever the call on the field was going to stand. I just don't think there was enough evidence to overturn it. And uh, the shot they showed, I mean, there's a little flip to second there. It does look like RJ comes off the bag, but you can't tell if he did it with possession of the baseball or not. I really thought they were going to overturn it. They didn't. And, again, I think, again, it just boils down to not enough evidence to overturn it. So we get out of a jam there. And, again, that's back-to-back zeros for Brandon Smith. Bottom of four. Uh, James grounds out to, to short, and then Hancock uh, hit the ball to left center, kind of takes it back up the middle a little bit the other way, really hit that baseball well. That's our first hit of the ball game. Logan Tanner then flies out to center on the second pitch of his at bat. Hines strikes out looking. So we're breaking up the no-hitter, but we're no closer to, uh, to you kind of get into this ball game. Top of five, Riapelli singles up the middle. Rivera flies out to right. Caglione grounds out to the pitcher. And uh, we're able to hold the runner there. I guess he takes second. We bring in Mikey Tepper. Tepper gives up. Uh, Kaleo singles to center field. The run comes on, makes it a 7 nothing ball game. We get Halter to ground out to end the inning. Bottom of five, State begins to strike back a little bit. Compass with a single to left. Then Clark singles back up the middle. So here we go. Here we go. Throw goes in, and then we got runners to second and third. Nobody out. You got to score here. Davis strikes out looking. Forsyth, again, I thought Lane had a, a really good weekend. He, I, you know, sometimes, like, we, we're not able to retire the talking points. Yeah, I, I looked this up last week, and I was writing an article. Lane Forsyth was a buck 38 going into the Georgia series and uh, hitting just under 300 now. I think he was at 295 after Friday, maybe Saturday. But Forsyth comes up with a big hit here. Uh Takes the ball the other way, and you can tell his approach has changed. He's not trying to pull the baseball as much. He's working middle in and away. Pays off here as he singles into right field, brings in a run, and then Jaeger flies out to left. Pretty good situational hitting here. You'd like to you'd like to have the home run. You'd like to have the base hit. But worst case scenario, you're able to elevate a baseball here and uh, allow the runner to tag and score. And it really wasn't very deep. Kellum Clark had to kind of get on the horse, but he scores. Now it's a seven-two ball game. And Cam James pops up to first base. But, uh, you know, now even though we're still really not, quote, in it, you know, we have made some things happen here offensively. We put some balls in play, three hits in the inning. That's one of those things we have not been able to do many times this year is have three hits in an inning. All right, top of six, Florida answers and gets one of those runs back. Fabian strikes out swinging. Langford, who was kind of a thorn in the Bulldog side all weekend, singles through the right side. Thompson then walks again. Langford to third on a wild pitch. Runner first holds. Fabian pops up to first. And then who it is it? It's Riapelli again. Doubles down the right field line to chase in that run. You know, Riapelli killed us. He absolutely did. Became a bit of a convenient villain later in the ballgame. Later in the weekend. Let me, I'll explain that when we get there. And then Rivera strikes out swinging. So it's an 8-2 ball game. Headed to the bottom of six. Hancock again comes up. Hammers the ball really hard. Uh, the other way for a single. It's kind of back up the middle, but it's really more over shortstop. Line drive into left center. Then Logan Tanner singles back up the middle. So, again, back-to-back base hits here to kind of get things going. And then Hunter Hines pops up to short on 3-1 count. You know, three, you'd like to be able to do a little bit more on 3-1 count or 2-0 count. But that's baseball. Sometimes it didn't work out. Not going to be critical of Hunter Hines' play at any point. Uh, Compass grounds out to second. It moves the runners to second and third. Kind of works like a bunt here. And, again, we just need a base hit here. 
we really, if a base hit here, all of a sudden two runs scored, now all of a sudden it's a different ball game. Instead, we ground it back to the pitcher, who made a really nice play there. Uh, hit the ball pretty hard. He had to make a good play, and he did. All right, top of seven. Tepper comes out, has a pretty good inning here. Caglione, K swinging. Kaleo grounds out to third, and then Hunter Halt, oh, excuse me, Hunter walks on four pitches, and then we get Fabian to strike out looking. So we pitch around the walk there and kind of keep the game where it was. State makes it very interesting here in the seventh. They like to change pitchers, pull out Sprout, who was good. Uh, Aaron Downs pinch hits for Jess Davis and singles right back up the middle. Forsyth, again, singles to the right side. That's three at-bats and three times he's gotten on base. 3-0 count there and uh, has back-to-back Ks. We take those, and then we take a ball back to the right side. And, and listen, I get it. I know a lot of people say, hey, Steve, you know, why are we taking strikes? Well, you know, when you have an approach, when you have a game plan, it's like, okay, I'm going to go up here and push this ball to the right side. You're going to look for that pitch until you get two strikes. Just so happens he gets a pitch he can handle, takes it the other way. And so a nice hit for Lane. Jaeger then reaches on a fielding error, hit the ball hard. Third baseman just couldn't make a play here. Um, so the inning continues. Now all of a sudden you've got bases loaded with nobody out. Cam James reaches on a fielder's choice. They force the runner at second, can't turn two. The run scores, makes it a three. So that's four consecutive Bulldogs put the ball in play. We get a run home. Still have an opportunity here to make this a big inning. Cam still second to give us runners at second and third with less than two outs. And Hancock grounds to third. The run scores, makes it 8-4. And then big two-out hit comes up. Logan Tanner singles back up the box. Cam James scores. Now it's an 8-5 ball game. Now you start thinking, as bad as this game is gone, we're just down three. We still got two more innings to play. Can we score three, four runs in the last two innings? Yeah, we absolutely can. We don't. But all of a sudden, you know, you begin to kind of manage a ball game and you realize, you know, hey, we let this thing get away from us earlier, but we still have a chance. They changed pitchers and bring in Abner in place of Purnell. Purnell did not last but two-thirds of an inning. Um, you know, of course, the defense didn't help him, but, you know, he didn't help himself. I mean, every Bulldog that faced Purnell put the ball in play. And then Abner comes in and gets Heinz to strike out looking. Our two-strike approach sometimes is lacking. Sometimes it is. And, again, strike zones are uh, a moving target these days. But, you know, anything close, you learn that, you learn that young, got to try to pull a pitch. All right, top of eight, we make a few changes here. Uh, Davis comes out of the game. Down stays in to play left. Compass goes over to center. Jackson Fristo came in, and I thought this may, may have been Jackson Fristo's best outing of the year. I thought Jackson was outstanding here. So we get Langford to ground out to third, and then Thompson on a, reaches on a fielding error by the third baseman. Rather than fold, Fristo bears down. We get Fabian to strike out swinging. We do give up a stolen base here. And then uh, we have a pass ball, and the runner moves up. We walk Riopelli, and then we get another ground ball, and we get out of it. So even though we had some self-inflicted wounds here, Fristo stood tall and didn't let anybody score. Bottom of eight, they change pitchers again, bring in uh, Ficarata. And then Combust singles through to third baseman, hit the ball really hard. Clark then grounds out to the pitcher, works basically as a button. Again, it's 2-0 count there. It's 2-0 count. You know, and again, you know, you, you're facing a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. 
sometimes you got to make a late adjustment. But we need to be a little more authoritative when we get advantage counts. But Clark grounds to the pitcher, basically works like a bunt, downs, then walks, and then Forsyth walks. Now the bases are loaded with less than two outs. You have a chance, you know, this is what we talk about. We've been down three runs, but now all three runs are on base. A couple base hits here, it's a tie ball game. All right, so Jaeger then grounds out the short on the second pitch of the AB. Run scores, makes it 8-6. Still got a couple guys on here, and then Cam James, uh, very first pitch of the AB, flies out to right field, and uh, that's the inning. And so while it was a good inning for us from an offensive approach point to load the bases, I didn't think our approach once we loaded them was very good. When you've got a guy that's had back-to-back walks, I mean, his. I mean, just think about this. So, he struggled to throw strikes to Cumbus, who gets a single on a 3-1 count. Clark goes 2-0. Downs goes on four pitches. Foresight, it's a five-pitch walk. And so, why are we being so aggressive early in the count? When you've got a guy that looks like he might even walk the ballpark, why would we, why would we be so aggressive? And this is Slater I'm talking about. Slater came in and, and placed a Figueroa. And his first – eight of his first nine pitches are balls. And then we're swinging early in the count. I, I thought it was a mistake. And you got guys you say, hey, you, some guys you green light, Steve, and that's true. But in late game situations like this, when you've got a guy that is struggling to find the strike zone, you can't help him. And we did. We helped him here. And we basically kind of out-aggressived our way – into the into the defensive side of things. This is this to me. I thought this is really when the game was won or lost. This bottom of the eighth. Two runs. Two excuse me. Two outs, and we have the bases loaded, and uh, we're only able to get one run home. Less than two outs. Excuse me. Less than two outs. Bases loaded, and you have one two in the order coming up. You got to come through here. You, you simply have to come through here. Th- th- that's the difference in winning and losing. It's not the Boy Scouts. We can't just sit here and say, well, you know, they're doing their best, which is true, and I believe that. But this is not winning baseball. This is what gets you beat. When you have a pitcher on the ropes late in the ball game, the crowd's in the game, and the crowd that was there was very, very boisterous. And after back-to-back walks, it takes them three pitches to get out of the inning. And we, um, we leave a couple guys in, uh, on base. Could have made the difference. Top of nine, Jackson Fristo absolutely blowing the doors off here. Taglioni, K-swinging. Kaleo, K-swinging. Halter, K-swinging. The movement on his fastball, to me, looked to be really good in this outing. And again, in the eighth, we face some adversity. We don't let it beat us, and we come back in the ninth, and we absolutely got some incredibly awkward swings. That's one thing about Jackson, too. Sometimes people barrel him up. Sometimes he's able to throw a fastball by him. I thought he had good movement on the breaking ball and good sync on the fastball. Because if, if you guys, if, if you can stomach it, go back and watch that sequence. I know you don't want to like go, go back on a DVR and watch losing ball games. Those were very awkward swings by Florida hitters. I mean, it looked like if you'd pulled somebody out of the stands. I mean, Jackson really made them look bad. Bottom of nine. We have a chance, again, two runs down. Hancock flies out to right center. Tanner pops up to second. Hines keeps it going. Hammers the ball to right center for a single. So now the tying run comes to the plate. 
And then Brad Kumbas grounds out the first unassisted. So again, you know, you begin to look at all this. We had chances throughout the ball game, but when we finally got in the bullpen, we were able to get going offensively. Unfortunately, by that time, the hole was too deep. But despite all that, you had an opportunity there in the bottom of eight, and you just couldn't get it done. You simply couldn't get it done. And so that's a loss rather than... Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Gate. All right, let's take a look at game number two. This one, this one's another one that'll get next to you a little bit too. It's, it's one of those ones, you know. You, it's one of those ones. To borrow a line from Tech Nine, it's one of those ones. You, know, you look at this one, you begin to think this is one we let get away. And once we let it get away, it really got away from us. And I thought State really competed hard in this ball game. I, I really do. And things went awry for us late. But Florida did what postseason teams do. When the game was on the line, they made the plays. We didn't. Langford, again, a, a burr in the Bulldog saddle, opens up against Preston Johnson with a double to center. 
we walked Thompson. Seemed like that was the case all weekend, right? Fabian then walks. Now they have bases loaded, nobody out. And you start thinking, I mean, is this, is this going to be a repeat of last week? Are we going to be able to get out of this thing? Uh, Ryan Pelly flies out to left. The runner tags and scores. And we get back-to-back punch outs. So while we got ourselves in some trouble, self-inflicted trouble, to only give up one here was huge. And that's a tribute to Preston Johnson. Yes, he's the guy that walked those guys, but, but he stood pretty tall there against uh, four, five, and six in that order and wouldn't allow more than the one run. State answers in the bottom of one. Jaeger walks. Camden strikes out swinging, but in that at bat, Jaeger takes uh, second on a wild pitch. Luke Hancock then singles back up the box. Jaeger goes to third. So now runners at first and third uh, with less than two outs. Logan Tanner comes through with a clutch hit, singles back up the box to tie the game at one. So now all of a sudden you got runners at first and second. The game is tied. Just need that one more big base hit. You know, usually, usually when you get three hits in an inning, it's usually a really good inning. Hines strikes out swinging on three pitches, and Encumbus grounds out to third. Brad's pulling a lot, a lot. And I don't know if that's just because of how we're pitching or how they're pitching him, but uh, he's, not, he's not really getting middle anymore. Everything is a yank. And you do want him to pull the ball as big and strong as he is. But uh, a lot of ground outs to third these days. All right, top of second. Preston, really good inning after the first. You get a K swinging on three pitches. We do walk Halter on four pitches. And Evans grounds to third. And then Langford grounds out to short. So we pitch around the one walk there. Don't give him anything. It's a tie ball game. Bottom of second. Not a good inning for us. Kellum strikes out looking, down strikes out looking, and then Forsyth strikes out swinging. So three straight punches there for Florida. At this point, you kind of felt like, you know what, these guys may settle in. Top of third for Florida. Thompson singles back up the middle. Fabian then on a fielder's choice. We uh, forced the runner at second, can't turn two. Uh, Rhea Pelli doubles down the line to put runners at second and third. This could have been a folding moment for Preston Johnson. He goes, you know what, hey, this is going to be tough. We need a non-productive out here. We get it. He gets Caglioni to strike out swinging on four pitches. Really, 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 really good development there. And then we get a ground out to the pitcher from Rivera on an 0-2 count. So despite the fact that they got a couple guys in scoring position, we did a good job pitching. It's funny how that works, right? We need the clutch hit. They needed the clutch hit. They couldn't get it, at least not yet. All right, bottom of third, State was in traffic on the basis in this inning, too. Jaeger flies out to right center, and then Cam James walks. Hancock strikes out looking. Cam still seconds. Again, a runner in scoring position. Base hit here will give us the lead. Tanner flies out to right field uh, to end the inning. All right, top of four, Preston still kind of hanging in here, working hard. Again, it's a 1-1 ball game, and you go back and think about how eventful that first inning could have been, and here we are, locked into a pitcher's duel. Uh, Kaleo uh, hit, flies out to short right. R.J. Yeager runs that down. Then Halter singles to left. Evans gets struck out swinging. And then there is the old-fashioned strike him out, throw him out. Uh, Halter out at second. That's one thing about Logan Tanner. You would think people have learned by now. All right, uh, bottom of four. State gets a leadoff runner on here. We end up taking the lead this inning. Uh, Hines walks. Really lengthy at bat here, too. Got ahead 2-0. And then work the count full, gets the, uh, gets the walk here. And then uh, Brad Combus grounds out to third, but fortunately they're not able to turn two. Hines takes second, so it works like a bunt. And then Kellum Clark pulls the ball inside the bag at first, down the right field line, rattles around the corner there, 
and uh, Hines is able to score, make it a 2-1 ball game. At this point, hopes were high. Aaron Downs and pops up to short. Clark ends up at third on a wild pitch and Forsyth K swinging. You know, we talk about Forsyth, you know, having a good weekend. There were a couple times, too, he came up, big situations didn't come true. This is one of them. All right, 2-1 ball game after four. And you think, okay, Preston, maybe give us one more. You know, maybe we can get one more out of Preston. Pitch count was really becoming a concern at this point. And Langford, again, what a great leadoff hitter he is for Florida. Langford singles back up the middle on an 0-2 count, gets catch too much of the plate there. Thompson walks again. Now it's runners at first and second. Rather than quit, Preston gets Fabian to K looking and Ryan Pelley to strike out looking. So now we're a pitch away from getting out of it. Unfortunately, the next pitch we throw is doubled in the left center and two runs score to give Florida a 3-2 lead. Rivera walks, and then Kaleo grounds out to third. Man, Kaleo's had a tough year, a lot of, disappointing year for them. Bottom of five, State now trailing a run. Jaeger doubles down the left field line, so here we go. Here we go. Cam walks. Now it's runners at first and second. They bring in Abner in place of Neely. And then Hancock, a little bit unlucky here, grounds into the double play, and then Tanner lines out uh, to short. And so, again, here we are with the tying run on base with 2-3-4 coming up, and, we, and we, can't, we can't even get the ball out of the infield. Not good. Not good baseball. All right, Pico, Pico uh, Khan comes in. Um, and so he gets, uh, he gets one, two, three inning. Halter grounds out to second. Evans grounds out to third. And Langford grounds out to short. Getting Langford out is uh, no small uh, duty, to say the least. That guy was hot. All right, bottom of six. Again, State with a chance here. Hines singles up the middle after a lengthy at-bat. Then Cumbus is hit by the pitch. Now we've got runners at first and second. This is where I wish we had more guys that could bunt. Not that you'd ask Kelvin Clark to bunt. You'd rather him hit a three-run homer. But he strikes out swinging. They make a pitching change here, bring in uh, Fisher Jameson. He gets downs on a fielder's choice. Cumbus is forced at second. Now you've got runners on first and third. And then Forsyth grounds out second. So, again, we get a runner in scoring position with no outs, and we can't get a guy home. All right, top of seven. Thompson strikes out swinging. Fabian walks. Ryan Pelley and reaches on a fielder's choice. We do force the runner at second. Couldn't turn the double play, but we get Caglione to strike out swinging. Just thinking, you know what? We got a shot here. We got a shot. Bottom of seven. Uh, Jaeger doubles down the left field line. So here we go again. Runner in scoring position with less than two outs. Cam James then singles through the right side. And Jaeger had to see it through. You know, like I had a couple people text me and said, well, Steve, why, how come he didn't score there? Well, it was a line drive. What's the first thing you're taught in Little League? We're going to freeze on a line drive. Halfway on a fly ball. Hold. You know, it's like there's just so much that happens in baseball. But um, but so he stops at third. It doesn't cost us, though. We do get – we again, Luke hits the ball really hard. It's a double play. The run scores. It's a tie ball game. But, again, chance for us to have a bigger inning, we don't. LT then singles through the right side. This makes that that at bat kind of compounded the issue with the double play. I mean, even the sack fly works. You know what I'm saying? It's just, you know, uh, LT singles through the right side. And uh, then Hines walks. And so, again, you know, Bulldogs putting the ball in play here putting themselves in a good situation to score some runs and uh, having a tough time, you know, having a tough time making things happen here. 
But, you know, they, they changed pitchers. Compass then walks. Now the bases are loaded again. You know, base hit here, probably the difference in winning and losing the ballgame. We line out to right. Kellen Clark does. Now it's a 3-3 it's ballgame. We've tied the game. But, again, this should have been a much bigger, bigger inning for us. It wasn't. Top of eight, we bring in Casey Hunt. Uh, Casey gets Rivera to strike out swing, and Kaleo lines out to left. Then Hunter walks. Evans and singles up the middle, and you think, oh, my, here it is. Here it is. But no. Langford then grounds out to RJ, and we're out of the inning. Bottom of eight. Downs Forsyth. Yeager come up. They go one, two, three. Down strikes out swinging. Forsyth lines out a second. Hit the ball really well. Just right at somebody. Uh, and then Yeager strikes out looking. Or maybe that Forsyth one, that's the one that was kind of a dying quail. Now that I think about it. Uh, and Yeager strikes out looking. So, you know, going to the night, you think, okay, Let's get these guys out, and then we'll have two, three, four coming up. Maybe we can push across a run and go home happy. Well, Florida made sure that didn't happen. Thompson singles to third base. And, um, you know, it was going to be a bang-bang play, and it throws a little bit high, pulls Luke off the bag. And it always seems like whenever the first guy reaches, like he scores 765,000% of the time. Fabian strikes out looking, then Riapelli walks. Now, all of a sudden, a go-ahead run is in scoring position. Now, they issued an official warning here to Riapelli, and this is one of the things I wanted to talk about. A lot of you were a little bit confused about what happened. And so, here is what I'm told. Let's just call this by a uh, well-placed source. One of our fans was chirping with Riapelli about staying in the box, get in the box, get in the box, get in the box, get in the box. And after he walked... Riapelli said something to our fan who was seated near our dugout. Now, I think it may have been misconstrued that it was towards our dugout. Well, the next thing you know, he and KC start chirping at each other, and then Lamonis comes out and uh, the officials get involved. So an official warning given to Riapelli, I think it's much ado about nothing. Either you throw the guy out or you don't. You know, I mean, the, the warnings, you know, I don't, it doesn't mean anything to me. Um, Caglione then doubles to left, chases home a run. We walk Rivera to set up a double play, and then Kaleo, probably the biggest hit of the weekend for him, doubles down the right field line to score two. Now it's a 6-3 ball game, and I think we all knew at this point the game was over. Halter uh, reaches out and uh, taps one out there for Fielder's Choice, and uh, they, they review this. So Lane makes a really nice play. We go home with it. I, I, I didn't think it was even close, and the replay showed that it really wasn't. A great throw and then great job by LT around the plate there to get a good tag in. Um, and so he's gunned down, and then we give up a home run to Evans, a three-run bomb that kind of removes all doubt. We walk Langford. We pull Hunt for Case, for uh, Cheatham. KC just kind of fell apart there in the ninth. And, and that's just kind of – that's uncharacteristic of him. But I think all of the stress of everything began to kind of weigh on him a little bit. And it's like you look back, you know, with, with all this stuff that happened with Raya Pally, it's still a 3-3 ball game. It is still a 3-3 game. Yeah, we roll up a ground ball here. We're out of the inning. That's not what happens. I, th- I think the emotions kind of got to him. And, again, that's just my opinion. Uh, I didn't think his body language was that great after that. And I thought he kind of overthrew a little bit. And Florida took advantage. We bring in Cole Cheatham, who gets a uh, strikeout looking to, to kind of, you know, get us out of the damage there. But, um, you know, the game is over. Bottom of nine, we go one, two, three. Cam James flies out to right. Hancock pops up third. Tanner grounds out to second. And those are three guys that should be carrying us. I mean, let's just be honest about it. I'm not going to sit here and be critical of them, but I'm, I'm going to call it as I see it. 
you know, in times of adversity, you know, you depend on your veterans. And we need those guys to play like veterans. And, you know, and I, you forget sometimes these guys have only had a couple of years of baseball. But the reality of it is that's the case for all-star players most years. You know, after two or three years of baseball, they're done. You know, and some of these guys were fresh from back in 2020. That year didn't count. So, they, you know, they've got basically two and a half years, you know, of baseball. And so, you know, we need those guys to come through. And that's kind of been the case all year. It's like we kind of go as those three go. But, um, yeah, listen – the home plate umpire was atrocious. And, uh, you know, I, sometimes I'll ask, you know, where was the pitch or whatever, you know. I finally stopped counting on this one. Because usually, to be honest with you guys, usually it's probably only three or four pitches that, you know, I disagree with over the course of the ball game, And that's a great ratio. Once we got in double digits for this one, I quit, I quit even trying to keep up with it. Uh, but so Florida takes the series. And at this point, we're just hoping we could salvage a game. And I think all of us kind of felt the same way, thinking, you know, we're, we're, in, bad, we're in a bad shape here. We're in, a, we're in a really bad spot here to find a way to salvage something from the weekend. And we get nothing and have to find a way to like it. But before we get to breaking down game three, we're going to do our, our top ten list, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. And you can find all the information you need to refinance your current mortgage or perhaps uh, get a mortgage for the first time by dealing with a mortgage professional like Blair Chandler. A lot of people out there competing for your business. Blair is a guy that has earned your business. 21 years in the industry, top one close percent, top one percent close ratio in the country. Works for Fairway Mortgage, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction. So you get the best guy working for the best company, working for you you know interest rates are on the rise and so you probably need to make a decision sooner rather than later about this many americans today living paycheck to paycheck because of some uh, revolving debt you maybe you've run up your credit cards maybe during the quarantine you had to live right so you know you bought groceries and that kind of stuff just to use a shortfall solution and now you're in a situation where perhaps you're overextended get that equity working for you consolidate that debt down to one low monthly payment Give Blair a call today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Visit him today at closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. And here's the deal. Mention to him you heard about it on the Boneyard, and he'll pay for your appraisal. How about that? That's about a $500 value, some money you can save right out of the gate. And you probably don't have that money to spend, right? So work with a guy like Blair Chandler, the Blair Chandler, at CloseWithBlair.com. All right, top ten albums. We're doing that on Mondays. We did Country on Friday. Carrie Underwood, you guys appeared to like that list. I was expecting to get more blowback than we did, but uh, not a lot of complaints about the Carrie Underwood list. And I, you know, again, I think it's because uh, the depth of her catalog is uh, is very very good. And so uh, we're going to get to a band very different than Carrie Underwood. Very 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 different. In many respects, considered kind of the fathers of new metal. We're talking corn. When I go to shows, sometimes a lot of people think I'm in corn. Sometimes I wear a corn shirt. And I don't think I've ever seen Jonathan Davis wear a corn shirt, but people think I'm Jonathan Davis, and uh, which I find very flattering because I like Jonathan Davis. Funny story, I was in South Carolina. I think I've shared it with you guys before, but if not, let's do it again. I'm in South Carolina last year covering baseball, and um, – you're hanging around the hotel, you know, watching some college baseball, go down to the lobby to get some snacks or maybe even breakfast. I don't know what it was, but I saw this guy kind of waiting around at the elevator, kind of waiting around, you know, could have got on. He didn't. 
So I get my plate, and he jumps on with me. Elevator door closes. He goes, hey, man, I always wanted to meet you. I have all of your albums. Well, I don't have any. So, uh, but thanks. You know, uh, friends of mine said, Steve, you should have just let him believe it. Yeah, like uh, you know, like uh, Jonathan Davis is going to be hanging out at the uh, Holiday Inn Express there in Columbia, South Carolina. But nevertheless, I love corn. I like to eat it. I like to listen to it. I've been to see them live multiple times they always put on a killer show incredible professionals been doing it for a long time and the thing about corn too is like they're still producing great music there were a lot of bands from the early 90s that are out and uh corn's debut album was released in 1994 two times platinum and ever since then you know corn has kind of been a mainstay i didn't i don't know that people listen to heavy music as much anymore but uh Corn has released some great albums, obviously not getting the sales they once were, but um, still charting really, really well. So let's break it down. They have a new album that was released a couple months ago called Requiem. I'm not quite as familiar with that album, so I didn't include that uh, in our list. But if you were a longtime Corn fan, maybe go out and check that album out. I also did not include Corn 3, Remember Who You Are, which is like kind of a return to uh, kind of the basics. And it was really the last album that they had put out without Brian Head Welch. Brian had returned to the band, and uh, uh, Ray Luger had joined the band. And so it was, um, this was the first album with Ray. I, I just didn't get the album, and that's not necessarily a criticism of Ray or anything like that. But um, I, I just didn't think the album had the same corn sound. Now they, they went back and kind of unpacked a little bit and kind of tuned back to maybe the beginning uh, and Let the Guilt Go and Oildale were both, um, you know, radio play songs. But I just didn't think the album worked well. And I think them bringing Head back was good, not only for Brian Head Welch, but also for Korn. And I think it brought some real uh, excitement back to the band. But uh, Korn 3, not on our list today. So number 10 is uh, the 2019 album, The Nothing. That's another one where Head is now back with the band. Uh, I think there's a lot of depth to this album, and Korn has so many great albums. Sometimes it's difficult to rank them. But, uh, you know, this is one that had a lot of great airplay. Uh, I guess rose as high as maybe 17, I guess, on the charts. Maybe that's right. Um, on the hard rock charts, it might have done a little bit better than that. But um, be that as it may, I really dug it. Uh, You'll Never Find Me is your number 10 song. You'll Never Find Me, which was the lead single off the album, The Nothing. All right, number nine is uh, one of the albums without Brian Head Welch. It's See You on the Other Side. This is when they were still with Virgin Records. I liked the album, but I felt like something was missing because Head wasn't in the band. I mean, Monkey does a good job kind of playing both parts, but it's just not the same. Uh, Twisted Transistor was a huge hit off this album. But the song we're going with is my favorite song from the album. It's Coming Undone. And they actually did a bonus version with the Franchise Boys uh, with Lean With It, Rock With It, which was really cool. You can't hardly find it. It's out there on YouTube, but it's not on any of the streaming services that I found. But um, really cool album. Love that album cover, too. The art is remarkable. But again, see you on the other side. Coming Undone, number nine. Uh, number eight, going back to the second album, Life is Peachy. And I got to see him play, uh, I guess, in 2016, and 20 years since that album been released. Now we're celebrating the 25-year uh, anniversary of that album. Uh, I like the album a lot. I do think they were still kind of finding their sound. I think the first album, of course, you know, you get your whole life to write your first album. 
I didn't think it was necessarily a sophomore slump, but I didn't think maybe it held up to some of the other stuff. But uh, on this one, we're going to go, you know, we could go on with Adidas here, but we didn't. It's a family show. So we're going to go with Twist, which is kind of a, you know, a corn fan standard. It's on the, uh, the Greatest Hits album, too, but uh, not a big radio. Twist was an intro, and um, it's only 49 seconds long, but it, it kind of leads you into the album. And I know that it is a shorter song, but I like the fact that uh, there's a lot of cool stuff on this one. No Place to Hide is kind of a high point on this one, too, but uh, we're going to go with Twist. Again, that is... Uh, basically kind of a refrain and an intro but uh i i love jonathan on that one i think he's really good number seven one of the more recent releases and um the second album after brian head welch returned to the band and it's uh the serenity of suffering i i don't think there's a bad song on this album this is one of those albums you can just kind of push play and let it go uh, the song we went with was uh, Riding in Vain, which is your number seven song. Riding in Vain, got a little scat action on there, too. Kind of reminds you of Twist a little bit. Black is the Soul, had a lot of great radio airplay, too. But uh, Riding in Vain, to me, is the high point on this album. And I think the guitar work on it is very reminiscent of Korn in their heyday. All right, number six, The Path of Totality. It's the first album after Head rejoined the band. Uh, excuse me, that's not correct. That was the paradigm shift. We'll get that a little bit later. So The Path of Totality is an album that was basically kind of a e-music album. You know, they work with Kill the Noise and uh, a few other people out there, Skrillex, among others, that uh, kind of took the traditional corn sound and then added a real incredible bass line to it. I absolutely love the album. A lot of traditional corn fans didn't like it. I liked seeing them go in a different direction. There, there's just so much on this album that I like. Uh, Way Too Far, I think, is phenomenal. absolutely love that one. I think that should have been a bigger hit. Uh, Chaos Lives in Everything is great. Uh, Get Up was the first single off this album, but my favorite song on this, on this album is Narcissistic Cannibal with Skrillex and Kill the Noise. I think it is absolutely remarkable. And uh, if you're in the car, maybe turn it up a little bit. I think you'll enjoy that a, a great deal. Narcissistic Cannibal from The Path of Totality. All right, number five is The Untouchables. And again, this is when the band was kind of in transition a little bit too. So much was kind of happening with the band and there were so many people that were, um, you know, trying to suggest that maybe that this style of music was moving on. David Silveri was still the drummer in the band. And um, I think this is probably not as acclaimed as it should be. This is another one of those, I think you can kind of just let it go. Uh, Thoughtless is great. Alone I Break is one the fans absolutely love. My favorite track was actually a radio single, too. It's Here to Stay. I absolutely love Jonathan's vocal on this. I like how in your face it is. So that's your number five song off the Untouchables album. It's Here to, Here to Stay. Number four, The Paradigm Shift. And, yes, this is the album when Brian Head Welch returned to the band. Nothing made me happier than hearing this album for the first time because of the guitar work on it hearing Head and Monkey reunite. I didn't think it ever happened. You know, Head had left the band and put together a Christian rock band called Love and Death, and had done some stuff with Red and some other Christian rock bands. I uh, played and performed at the Dove Music Awards a couple times. Uh, you know, Head's a believer. That's one of the reasons he left Corn was to kind of get sober and find some foundation in his faith. He's back with the band, still a man of faith, still leads prayer. 
Uh, I've got some friends of mine that snuck backstage at Corn, and before they left, uh, had wanted to pray with them so they'd have a safe journey home. So it's not just something that's uh, part of a press release, something like that. But I love this album too. Spike in My Veins was huge. Never Never was a big uh, one for them as well. Um, Lullaby for a Sadist is a high point too. That's a little deeper track I think you'll like. What We Do is great. I mean, there's just so many great ones on here, but I went with Pray For Me. I love that one. I love the vocal on it. I love the... the uh, I love the back vocals on it, too. Love and Math is a great one, too, but I went with Pray For Me is your number four song. Number three, back in the debut album, and I think one of the reasons this one holds such uh, nostalgia for me is just because it was unlike anything else that was out at the time. And again, it goes two times platinum, and um, only hit 72 on the U.S. charts, but around the world actually did much better. I think some of this, too, is because people just weren't quite sure how to label corn, but... Uh, this crazy cover with a little girl with, uh, sitting on a swing set. I mean, and uh, Jonathan Davis's guy has been very open about the trauma and abuse he suffered in his life. And so a lot of this album is kind of featured around that. So many great songs on this album. Uh, Helmet in the Bush is one that Love and Death covered when they were on the road. It's one that Brian Head Welch had written. Shoots and Ladders is the one that uh, maybe you're familiar with where they basically sing a bunch of nursery rhymes. Clown is a fan favorite as his ball tongue, but uh, I went with Blind. Blind, number three, off the debut album, Corn. Number two, and this is one that I think is just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, released in 1999, when music was changing, Corn was staying true to themselves. This is when I really feel like Corn was in their wheelhouse. Again, another album you can just kind of let it go. A lot of big hits on MTV at the time. They were still playing some music uh, kind of around hair care commercials and um, the real world. Somebody, someone is great. It's going to be, it's going to go away is great. Make me bad is phenomenal. But I went with Falling Away From Me. I think that is one of the quintessential Corn songs, Falling Away From Me. I think Corn uh, had Head and Monkey probably at their absolute best on this album. Now, to me, the album that's going to be number one is, uh, I think, you know, we talk about the totality of the catalog. If I was going to get somebody into corn, this is where I would start. I would hand them this CD and say, listen, this is it. Go listen to this. If you, if you don't like this, you're probably not going to like the rest of it. Uh, but it's Follow the Leader. I think Follow the Leader is an iconic album for this generation. And again, things were changing in music. And I thought corn was really at the top of that wave. Uh, whether it be Children of the Corn that featured Ice Cube or even All in the Family with Fred Durst from Limp Bizkit. Uh, Justin is another great one. It's a deeper track that maybe doesn't get enough airplay. Uh, Got the Life is a phenomenal song and video. And this, this is one of those things, too, where Jonathan Davis is kind of revealing some of his pain for us. But uh, number number one on the list, and I think you know probably the best corn song of all time, the one, if you mention corn, this is a song that always comes to mind. It's Freak on a Leash. And how else could it be anything else? But uh, again, Follow the Leader, I think the best corn album and Freak on a Leash, without a doubt, you know, one of the best songs of that decade and probably of this generation when it comes to this brand of music. So that's your top 10 corn albums. We're back on Wednesday with something completely different. And uh, if you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let me know. I'm happy to do them. Best bet is to find Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic. That's eight a d a w g. M-A-T-I-C-6-7, Dogmatic67 on Twitter. And uh, while you're searching for these lists, look for them also on Spotify under Dogmatic67 and maybe give Roy a follow. Make it a little easier for you. I appreciate Roy. 
for what he does. And uh, Izzy Mandelbaum helps us out a little bit sometimes on uh, Apple Music. So it's, uh, it's always great to be able to share the gift of music with you guys and talk a little music uh, to give us an opportunity to kind of talk about some different things on the show. So there you go, your top 10 corn albums brought to you by your friends at CloseTheBlair.com. I was remiss in my dismay earlier. We did not award the Prime Shrimp Player of the Weekend, and so we're going to do that now. I'm going to give it to Lane Forsythe. I absolutely am going to give it to Lane. I thought it was not a great weekend offensively, but I thought Lane did have some big hits for us, and I thought Lane did a good job kind of moving the lineup forward and giving R.J. Yeager a chance uh, to hit, you know, with a guy, a pitcher in in the stretch. And uh, Lane's now hitting 284. I mentioned he was up to – uh, 295 after the Friday game. But uh, here over the weekend, he goes, uh, what, three for nine on the weekend, also had a walk, but, uh, you know, had a nice RBI as well. But, you know, I think Lane is really beginning to kind of mature before our eyes. I mentioned to you guys, he was hitting a buck 38. We went to Georgia. He actually dipped down to 133 that weekend. And ever since then, it's kind of been a steady climb. The guy's doing a better job. He's getting better. Uh, it's, I look at this thing, too. You begin to think about last year. I mean, Lane's got 27 hits this year. 27. Now, kind of looking at that in, in some hindsight here, doing some comparative work, just because I think it's important for us to be, you know, mindful of where we are and where from which we've come. You know, when I look at Lane Forsyth's numbers last year, you know, and he wasn't a guy, too, that, uh, you know, played quite as much, but – uh, he had 58 starts last year. He's got right around 30 this year. He played more games last year. But he had 43 hits last year, and he has a chance to be close to that this year and a lot less at-bats. That's the thing. Last year he had 186 at-bats. This year not quite as many opportunities. Uh, kind of got his numbers pulled up right here. Yeah, 95 at-bats. And so he has almost half the at-bats, and – within striking distance, I guess, of, uh, of last year's hit total. And so, again, I think the time, the competition's been good for him. So let's thank our friends at primeshrimp.com. Uh, I had some over the weekend, too. I, I, I can keep going back to this French Quarter Alfredo. I like it all, but I like the fact that I, all I've got to do is warm up two pots instead of, like, three or four. I don't have to go pill shrimp. I don't have to go devein shrimp. I can just drop that packet that great pouch of shrimp with the sauce already in it into the bowl, into the, excuse me, the, the bowling pot. And I've got New Orleans quality shrimp to serve right over that nice bed of fettuccine noodles. Love eating uh, shrimp Alfredo. You can have French Quarter quality shrimp Alfredo by the end of the week. You go ahead, go to primeshrimp.com and use promo code Boneyard to save uh, a few bucks there. And they'll send it out. It's right out. And here's the thing, too. Always money back guarantee on all orders over four pounds, um, that's not actually correct. Your money back is all the time, but free shipping over four pounds. But here's the deal. How many times can you go somewhere and eat or order something to eat, and then if you don't like it, you get your money back? Money back guarantee uh, with PrimeShrimp.com. Again, PrimeShrimp.com, promo code Boneyard. Be sure and check it out today. All right, next segment of the show, we're going to recap game three. And we're going to look ahead to kind of what's available for Mississippi State, kind of where we are. And I know that people are somewhat despondent at this point about the season. And I share that same level of frustration. I do. But I also understand, too, that um, there's a lot of guys out there playing really hard for us and uh, never really experienced something quite like this. And so 
we need our leaders to stand up and lead down the stretch, and hopefully we can make something and salvage something of the season. But the reality of it is, is you know, we're really so up against it now. You know, we're really battling to get to Hoover. Now, a week ago, we didn't feel like – two weeks ago, we certainly didn't feel like it would be an issue. But here we are uh, battling to get to Hoover. This segment is brought to you by your friends at Campus Bookmark. I love Campus Bookmark. You will, too. Go by and check them out today. Go see their smiling faces, a lovely and talented Susie, of course, Miss Kathy Brown, Miss Pam Minyard, so many others there that do such a great job making you feel like you're home. You know what I'm saying? It's like you come home, and it's like one of the reasons you love Starkville is the people. It's not just Mississippi State. It's you being back around your people. Your people are, are working at Campus Bookmark. Be sure to go check them out. If you can't get to town, visit them on the World Wide Web, and you're supporting a local Starkville business uh, rather than some national conglomerate that doesn't know what maroon is. Go to campusbookmart.net. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. All right, let's look at game three here. Let's look at game three, much as we don't want to. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, go into the ball game yesterday, like the body language of our players wasn't great. Body language of our fans wasn't great. I mean, you know, it's like – and I commend those who came because I thought one of the better moments of the ball game, and even though it didn't go our way, was um, when our team came out to take the field. Those that were there, and yes, it's Mother's Day, so it's a commitment to come. I'm not going to be critical of those who didn't. You know, the season's kind of going in the tank, and the weekend's over. You know, we're not going to be able to win the series. But those that were there were into the ball game, and I thought when the team took the field, they got a really nice ovation uh, from our fans. And so if you were one of those fans – on behalf of the rest of the Mississippi State fan base, thank you for being there, and thank you for supporting our players and coaches. All right, so here we go. Uh, outstanding effort from Cade Smith. Absolutely outstanding effort from Cade Smith. He deserved a win in this game. He didn't get one. Unfortunately, Pico Kahn saddled with the loss. But uh, let's get look, look through it here. Uh, top of first, Langford grounds out to second. We walk Thompson. Man, Tom, that kid, Thompson kid, that guy's got a great eye. He really does. Uh, Fabian strikes out swing, and then Riapelli strikes out swing, and, and it was a lengthy at bat, and we finally get him, and the crowd really exploded after that incident he had uh, on Saturday with uh, one of our fans. I think a lot of people thought it was our dugout, but um, be that as it may, he had a lot of heat, to say the least, coming out on duty noble field on Sunday. All right, bottom of the first day, gets an early lead. Jaeger flies out to center, and James strikes out looking. So we get a little two-out rally going here. Hancock, again, Work in the middle of the field, hammers one back up the middle, and then LT walks. Now you've got runner in scoring position with with two outs, and Hunter Hines skies a pop-up that gets lost in the sun. You know how those Sunday afternoon games are in May. And sure enough, it drops between those guys, and the run scores. They kind of gift us a run there, but we'll take it. And then uh, they pick off Hunter Hines, catcher to first. Now these are the plays, too, we talk about. And I'm not going to pick on Hunter Hines, but, you know, you're the trail runner here. You know, where, where are you going? You know what I'm saying? It's like – and he'll tell you. Got a little too far off the bag. You got a good catcher behind the plate at Florida. And they got him, and, I, and he was out. I, I, they replayed it, and it looked like a bang-bang play. And I know you guys see the replay in stadium, and you think he's back in. But the replay that we saw in the booth, there wasn't enough to overturn it. And I thought, again, the call was going to stand. But the, the reality of it is – you get a good secondary, but you can't you can't get too aggressive out there. We pay for it here, and it ends the inning. You know, what's to say, you know, 
Brad Cummins doesn't hit a three-run bomb there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you basically take the bat out of his hands. So that's not good baseball. And not that, again, going to be critical of Hunter Hines, but that wasn't a great play. It wasn't. All right, top of second. Caglione singles up the middle, and then Evans double, uh, doubles down the line. Runners at second and third, and you start thinking, oh, here it goes. Here it goes. But Cade buckles down. Two runners in scoring position, nobody out. We get a line out to the second baseman. We weren't able to double anybody off, uh, but yeah, the ball was hit pretty well. Great play by RJ. Then Rivera grounds to short, and a runner from third scores, and then we get Halter to ground out to first. So we get out of that, it's allowing the one run. And I'm sure the Florida fans are lighting up their message board saying, hey, we got to get the clutch hit. Great pitching by Cade. All right, bottom of second, Cumba strikes out swinging. Then Clark strikes out swinging. Jess Davis comes through singling down the line. Really just kind of hit a hot shot toward first. He couldn't come up with it. And he's playing behind the bag there in big infield. And just you know, kind of took a funny hop and went into the, in the bullpen there. And then Davis is out stealing on the next play. And I thought he was safe. And uh, I know these umpires, you know, on a Sunday game don't want to review a whole lot. And we had just missed on the replay at first. I thought Jess was safe. And, and again, you show the in-stadium replay, it was bang, bang. But even on that replay, it looks like he got his hand in there. So I thought Hines was out. I thought Davis was safe. We don't get the benefit of a replay inning over. All right, top of three, Langford uh, singles to left. And then Thompson walks again. It's crazy, man. It really is. Fabian and strikes out swinging. Uh, Ryan Pelly singles to right field, loads the bases. And you think, okay, here it is. But no, no, Kate Smith says, no, not today, Jack Caglione. We roll up a ground ball and we get out of it. Again, good pitching there. And that's what's got to happen. You've got to get productive outs. It's not just about throwing strikes. You've got to throw, make them hit your pitch. Kate did that. Huge moment in this ballgame. Bottom of third, Forsyth grounds out to second. Jaeger then doubles to left center. So we've got to go ahead and run on base in scoring position with less than two outs. And then we don't really we don't get a productive out. Cam had a real lengthy at bat, but ends up Kane swinging, and then Luke flies out to left uh, to end the inning. Top of four, Evans pops up to short. Armstrong flies out to left. Rivera singles up the middle, and then there's an error on on uh, Lane Forsyth. Just went down to get it, came up with it, just couldn't glove it. But fortunately, it doesn't cost us. Uh, Langford flies out to center field uh, to retire the side there in the top of four. Bottom of four. Kind of a stalemate here. Logan Tanner pops up to first. Hines pops up to first. Cumbus pops up to third. Three pop-outs in the inning, and I think all three of them were on off-speed pitches. So not a good offensive inning for us. Um, so top of five, game still tied 1-1. Cade Smith bears down here. Does a good job. 1-2-3 inning for Cade. Thompson doesn't walk this time, thank goodness. He uh, grounds out to first. Smith covers and takes a toss there from uh, Luke. Then Fabian strikes out swinging, and then Ryan Pelly lines out at center field. So really efficient inning here. Good job for Kay, just kind of keeping us in there, just kind of gutting it out. Bottom of five, Clark flies out to left. Davis flies out at center. And then, lo and behold, Lane Forsyth, our prime strength player of the weekend, doubles to left center. And that, it was incredible how bad the left fielder was burned here. Just took a really bad angle. I don't think he expected Lane to hit it as far as he did. Really well-struck baseball. And then Jaeger flies out to center field. And, again, runner in scoring position, we need that big base hit. We don't get it. Uh, top of six, which reminds me, too, I meant to mention this when our game two recap. First seven innings of the ball game, six of those seven innings in game two, we, had a, we stranded a runner in scoring position. 
let that sink in for a second. And again, I'm not being critical. I mean, it's just, it shows you we had opportunities. We just couldn't cash in. Top of six. Again, Cade doing an outstanding work here. One, two, three inning. Cagliani strikes out swinging. Evan strikes out swinging. Armstrong strikes out swinging. Bottom of six. They make a pitching change, bring in uh, Fisher Jamison. Uh, wasn't so great on Saturday. Really good on Sunday. He gets Cam to strike out looking. Hancock grounds out the first, and then Tanner flies out to right field on the very first pitch. Top of seven. Cade still in there. Cade still shutting people down. Rivera grounds out to short. Halter grounds out to second. Langford grounds out to third. And that's it. And you begin to think, okay, seven innings pitch, five hits, one run. That's a winning effort. Unfortunately, we couldn't get him a win. We couldn't get the run support. But I think Cade Smith's your Friday night guy based on what you've got returning. Unless somebody transfers in here that's a sure enough dude, I think Cade's your Friday night guy next year. All right, bottom of seven. Again, a chance for us to take a lead here. Hines pops up to first. Cumbus grounds out to third. Clark walks to extend the inning, and then Davis flies out to center field. Top of eight, we bring in Pico, very first hitter he sees, Thompson, who has been a thorn in our side all weekend for in one way or another. Homers to right field, puts him up two to one. And then you start thinking, we're going to lose this game two to one after the way Kate Smith's pitch. It's incredible. And then Pico gets Fabian to strike out swinging, Rapelli to strike out swinging on three pitches. Caglioni then flies out to center. But the damage is done. We're down a run here. And, again, that's a one-two count, and we just leave a ball up and we pay for it. Bottom eight, State has a chance to answer here. Down just 2-1. Forsyth Case looking. Jaeger grounds out to short. And then Cam James out to third. We're going to the ninth. Just down a run. And Florida removes all doubt for the second straight game in the ninth inning. Give them credit. We bring in Jackson Fristo. Evans grounds out to third. We're doing okay here. Then we walk Armstrong. They pinch run for him. Rivera then singles back up the middle. We've got a jam on our hands. We compound that by walking halter to load the bases, and you just think at any moment the kill shot's coming. Well, here it comes. Langford, the leadoff hitter, dangerous guy. Doubles to the right side. Um, Two-run score makes it a 4-1 ball game, and just to remove any doubt, Thompson comes back up, singles to the right side to drive in two more to make it a 6-1 game. We bring in Drew Talley. He gets Fabian to strike out swinging, and then there's the old strike him out, throw him out. Um, and to kind of get it all done there. And that is the first one of the weekend. The other one uh, was a strikeout. And then in the next at bat, uh, LT threw a guy out. Bottom of nine, you know, we're down five here. And it's like, you know what, I'm expecting to see, you know, it's a bunch of selfish swings. I, I didn't see that. I thought we, even though the game was basically decided, we, we still went up there and competed at the plate. Uh, Luke lines out at center field. And then LT hits the home run, his first since April 3rd. Uh, that's out in Arkansas. First one in a long time at Dirty Noble Field. Uh, Hines grounds out the first. Then Compass gets on base on a throwing error, and you start thinking, okay, okay, okay. You know, maybe maybe Kellum can run into one here to make it a little more interesting. But we don't. We, we uh, end up flying out to left. And, and Kellum actually has some op- opposite field power. So I won't be the least bit surprised to see him start hitting home runs to all fields. And I do think there's a good chance he comes back next year. We'll see how things progress. But uh, I think he's still got a little bit left to prove. But State loses the series, and State still with a lot left to prove. Again, very disappointing weekend. I mean, there's just there's no there's no way to sugarcoat any of this. You know, we can say well we're making progress here. We find this the silver lining here. You got to win ball games. We talk about statistics, but the only statistics that matter are wins and losses. And it's so easy. We're baseball nerds, and I'm one of them. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in all that stuff and say, oh well, this guy's trending here, and this guy's doing this against lefties. 
at the end of the day, you got to win. Simple as that. We had some games last year we didn't play good offensively, but we found a way to win because we had a bullpen that could kind of mask days when our offense just wasn't quite there. And we talk about getting the clutch hit. I mean, how many games did we win last year? You know, three or four, you know, four to three, five to four. We had a lot of those tight games last year we win because of the benefit of our bullpen. So it all kind of works hand in hand. You know, when you know that, you know, a guy like uh, Landon Sims is coming in or even a guy like Brandon Smith, you know, last year you, you're kind of holding the opponent where it is and it gives you some time to catch up. And, you know, we're just not producing uh, enough offense in order for us to kind of overcome what's been kind of a leaky bullpen. And, and again, I don't, I'm not going to get on KC or even, uh, you know, Jackson for yesterday. I mean, you know, the reality of it is we got to score runs. I mean, through eight innings, we have one run in that game. We're not going to beat anybody one nothing. And so, you know, a lot of this has got to go on offense. And, and a lot of our – there's enough blame to go around, but a lot of our progress has got to be made down the stretch. It's got to come from both sides. you got to defend it well, and, we, and we've defended it pretty well the last couple months. But you got to pitch it better. And you got to get those big hits. There's no doubt about it. You absolutely have to get them. And so, again, an absolute terrible weekend for Mississippi State baseball. And uh, really, in all intents and purposes, puts us in a situation – we got to go win the SEC tournament to get in a regional somewhere. Somebody said, Steve, do we have to win it? I thought, well, yeah. What else is there? Maybe, maybe if you make it to Sunday with a combination of winning the series at A&M and Tennessee, maybe, you know, maybe. But you can't count on that. That's the thing, too. We, we've had to we've, – sometimes we've gotten help around the league and we hadn't done our part. That's the issue. We have to win games. And then the chips are going to fall where they may. But we go into a weekend where we absolutely had to win this series just to kind of stay in the conversation, and we get swept. So let's look and see what that does for us, right? Let's thank our friend uh, Brooks Bryan. I love Brooks. Brooks is such a good dude. You will too. And uh, Brooks is one of those guys that's part of that great group that's bringing its wonderful residential development to Starkville, Portico. Phase one completely sold out. Your new neighbors are here already enjoying life. But uh, if you've always wanted a place in Starkville, look no further than Portico. Very easy to find, 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. How cool is that? And that's the quiet side of campus, which is wonderful. So you get the convenience of being close, but you get, you're far enough away to have a little privacy and a little peace and quiet. Whether it be your ballgame weekend retreat or perhaps your primary residence, maybe even investment property, Portico has a plan for you. Reach out to Brooks at 601-416-8075, 601-416-8075. I'd love for you to be my neighbor. I would. I absolutely would love for you to be my neighbor, um, even though I'm going to be out in the sticks. But uh, we could bump into each other at Walmart. We could speak and be like old friends. But uh, it's, we're more likely to do that if you live here. So come be a part of our great and growing community here in Starkville. Make Portico your next move. All right, let's look at the SEC standings as much as it hurts. That's what we're going to do. We're going to just shoot it straight because we are the defending NAFL champions and currently dead last in the SEC West. Absolutely dead last. Not a position we expected to be in and certainly not a position we wanted to be in. So let's take a quick look at those standings. So Tennessee, of course, loses a series this weekend in Kentucky. Uh, they are 20-4 and four in the conference now, but uh, they have a – Seven-game lead on Georgia with six to play. Seven. So they have clinched the SEC East. Now, they have not technically clinched the SEC regular season championship because 
Arkansas with a big weekend is now 16 and 8. So they have a four game lead on Arkansas. So I guess the magic number in many respects, I guess, is what, three? Um, so a combination of an Arkansas loss or a Tennessee win would, would get those guys uh, locked up. But Arkansas still having the kind of fight for themselves. But let's look at the East real quick here. Again, Tennessee 20 and 4, Georgia 13 11, Vanderbilt 12 and 12. Florida now 11-13. And, and you start looking at Florida's schedule, Florida could make a run here and potentially even get up into the top four and have a bye in the first round of the tournament. That What once seemed impossible now almost seems likely. You know, Florida, again, a very talented team. They haven't played up to their potential. Guys, they go to Missouri this weekend, and then they host South Carolina the final weekend. They'll be favored to win both of those series. I mean, and – you could say, well, Steve, they might even sweep. They could, but you got to feel like they can get at least four wins, maybe five. You start looking at that resume, it's like, hey, four wins gets them to 500 in the league. When you think about how dreadful their start was, they're going to get to Hoover and be in a good spot, and then they're going to be in a regional somewhere. They likely won't host. But, you know, they're a team now that's kind of on the, on the cusp. You say, you know what, if these guys get hot and play deep into the tournament, they might be a host again this year. Much different circumstance. South Carolina, 10 and 14. Uh, Kentucky now 9 and 15. They have come from the cellar. Got a two-game lead now in Missouri. And, of course, Missouri holds a tiebreaker. But uh, here, you know, here's the thing. Right now, Missouri is the one team right now that's 14th. They're 14th in the league. Uh, and so there's a tie with us in Kentucky. I'm going to get to what that means here a little bit later. Of course, there's still two weekends left to play. Arkansas, 16 and 8. LSU and and A&M both 14 and 10 there. A&M would hold the tiebreaker of the Tigers. Auburn now 13-11 after dropping a series to Arkansas. Uh, Ole Miss now 10 and 14 as they win the series against Missouri. You know, Missouri, again, I don't think Ole Miss is going to have enough juice, but it's like you start thinking about down the stretch, what if they go down to Baton Rouge and win that series? Then all of a sudden you start thinking, okay, they're not in a host, but they may play with themselves into the regional. That that seemed two weeks ago like we were all ready to laugh. Now we basically traded spots with them. Alabama 10 and 14. So we're a game back of those two teams. And so in order for us to catch them, we're going to have to ask some help because our schedule is just not, not good when related to theirs. So we are tied with Kentucky for the last spot. The way the tiebreaker works, because we don't play Kentucky head-to-head, is it's based on – records uh mutual records against common opponents well we didn't play tennessee right so i'd have to do the math here to see who that would be but that's where that's where we are we're tied for 12th needing a tiebreaker to get to hoover that's where we are right now and the last place team took a series from us Again, I'm not going to sit here and, uh, you know, have the misery loves company type speech, but the reality of it is, you know, we shouldn't be in a position we're in, but this is where we are. This is where we are. Let's look at what's coming up around the league, too. Uh, I will be in Hoover tomorrow evening to watch the Bulldogs uh, play Sanford. That game, not at the Sanford campus. We played there a couple of years ago and uh, basically had a standing room only game at what felt like a high school venue. So we're going to play that game in Hoover. If you're in the Birmingham area, come out and please support the Bulldogs. I know it. It doesn't have the luster maybe it had a month ago. This team still needs us. UT Martin will be at Kentucky. Bellarmine will be at Tennessee, but then Cookman will be at Florida. Auburn at Troy. Indiana State's at Vanderbilt. South Carolina Upstate is at South Carolina. 
Alabama's at Jacksonville State, and then Southeast Louisiana at LSU. It's very rare that we have a midweek where everybody in the SEC wins, like all the conference teams win. I think it's going to happen Tuesday. I, I do. I think it's going to happen. Maybe I'm wrong. You never know what's going to happen in baseball. Uh, Ole Miss will play Southern Miss on Wednesday. So if you've been looking forward to that game, it's available for you. All right, let's look ahead to the weekend. Let's just kind of – we're going we'll preview the weekend uh, later in the week, of course. Georgia at Tennessee, that's a series going to start on Thursday. And I love that Thursday series, especially when it's not us, because I love being able to watch SEC baseball that matters uh, on Thursday. And you've got it all weekend. Of course, uh, Kentucky will be at South Carolina. That'll be awfully interesting. Kentucky, you know, won't sneak by South Carolina. But, you know, if Kentucky can put a good weekend together, hey – and if you're Mississippi State, you're, you're actually rooting for South Carolina here. Uh, Florida is at Missouri. If the Florida team that uh, the Florida team that we saw this weekend goes to Missouri and plays like that, they're going to win. They're going to win the series, probably sweep. If the Missouri team that we saw two weeks ago, it'll be a split. But Florida's winning that series. I, I don't. I just don't see any way around it. Mississippi State, of course, at Texas A&M. Aggies playing exceptionally well. Number 10 team in the country right now. Vanderbilt's at Arkansas. I think Arkansas is beginning to kind of find their stride again. Uh, it's a big road series win at Auburn. Vanderbilt, good enough to probably go in there and get one. But that'll be one, too. You start thinking, you know, who do you root for? you you got to root for the front runners here to beat up on those teams that are around us. So we should be pulling hard for Auburn this weekend as they host Alabama. You know, Alabama's a game ahead of us. And, of course, we'll be rooting for LSU because rooting against Ole Miss is part of our birthright, right? I don't like being in this position any more than you guys do. I mean, we've grown accustomed to not having to um, depend on other people to help us. But uh, the solution to our problems is to win games. But when I look at the schedule, I begin to think, okay, every series kind of matters to us with a few exceptions. You know, obviously – we're not going to catch George and Tennessee. Kentucky's right there with us. So it makes sense to pull for South Carolina. Missouri is two games behind us. We don't need them winning another series. We've got to pull for Florida. Uh, Vanderbilt, just kind of a couple games up there ahead of us. We pull for Arkansas here and pull for Auburn against Alabama and pull for LSU against Ole Miss. We need those teams that we can't catch to beat up the teams we can in order for us to be sure we make it to Hoover. And the fact that we're sweating out Hoover is just one of those things that just it blows my mind. You know, it really does. There's just too much talent on this team and too much experience for us to be in this position. So, basically, here's what we are. You know, we, we, we got to go on a run. Simple as that. We got to get hot. And it's got to start tomorrow. Uh, so, we can lay down and say, hey, well, at least we won an AFL championship. Or we can say, you know what, I'm, I'm not done playing baseball this year. The odds are very much against us. There's no question about it. The odds are against us. We're not going to be in a position where anybody's expecting much from us. And maybe, you know, maybe somebody overlooks us. But uh, considering the quality of coaches that we're going to play the next two weekends in the SEC, you better believe they're going to tell them those guys were NAFL champs. They're mad. They're angry. They're going to be desperate. They're going to come out, uh, you know, for blood. And hopefully we will. I just, I just don't have any confidence at this point that uh, we're going to be able to do what's required of us. But I do know this. I am a Mississippi State guy through and through, no doubt. So I'm going to be supporting the team. I'm going to be you know, pulling for them. I'm not going to give up on those guys. Uh, but, you know, the reality of the situation is we have not shown a lot of gumption this year. 
We have left a lot of wins on the table, and that's what mediocre teams do, and that's how we're playing. We're playing beneath our capabilities. We're playing beneath our talent level. And the flip side of that is, is, you know, we all knew when Landon Simmons went down that was going to be awful for us. We knew when Stone Simmons went down that was going to be awful, and the hits just kept coming. And it all works together. It's all a big deal. There is not one segment of baseball that doesn't impact the others. And so when you have those guys go down, all of a sudden people begin to think they have to play perfect. They don't play loose. They press. We got to get a big inning here. We got to go out there and put a bunch of runs on the board. So you go up there and sometimes try to do too much. Sometimes you chase some pitches you shouldn't. You know, defensively, you start thinking, I got to make a play. And so my hope is what happens here down the stretch is these guys just kind of loosen up a little bit. And maybe going on the road will be good for us. I don't know. But I do know this. We're going to see a great team come to town next weekend when Tennessee comes. And we're going to see a great group of baseball players play their last weekend of baseball at Duty Noble Field. There's no chance of us hosting a regional. Zero. Not much chance of us getting into a regional without an incredible finish. But my hope is, rather than just kind of mail it in, that our fans will turn out for that Tennessee series. Let's turn out, support the team, and at the same time, too, you know, kind of push kind of push those guys out with some good feelings. So that's kind of, I guess, my request. I'd hate to call it a challenge or anything like that. I, my hope is no matter what happens this week that we can have a, a good crowd next weekend. As we say goodbye to some players that have done some amazing things here at Mississippi State, you know, a, a group of NAFL champions. A lot of people have asked me, well, Steve, who do you think comes back? Well, most will be gone. You know, Jess Davis, a senior, R.J. Yeager, a senior. Obviously, those guys are, are going to move on. Um, I think Brad Cumbus is going to sign pretty much no matter where he gets drafted. If Brad is drafted, I think Brad's gone. I think Callum Clark's situation will be a little different because he has two years of leverage to work with. I think that Brad – excuse me, I think Callum is a guy that if he doesn't get what he wants, asking price-wise, signing bonus-wise, I think – Kellum's back. I think there is a possibility you get him back. I think Cam James has a number in mind. He also has two years to play with. So he has some leverage. So, and I, know, I know he really wanted to go last year, but nobody could hit his number. If somebody hits his number this year, he's going to go. So there's a possibility he goes. Lane Forsyth will be back. Not draft eligible yet. Not that I would expect him to be a, a challenge, even if he was draft eligible this year. I think his baseball is still ahead of him. Yeah, Luke Hancock's a guy that feels like he's been here forever, but he has some leverage too. And I think that he's a guy that probably benefits by coming back and catching. He could be the starting catcher next year. But, you know, Luke's a guy too. I think I'm not going to say he's in the same situation as Brad because he, he has a little more leverage to work with. But, you know, Luke's a guy too that, uh, you know, I think it's going to depend on where he goes. Where does he project? You know, I think his skill set is a catcher. I think everybody knows that's what he projects to be. I think he needs to get more college catching done in order to fetch a draft pick that uh, that is you know probably close to what he expects for himself. And so I think he'll have a decision to make. Brandon Smith may be in the same situation. You know, Brandon's a guy too that uh, I think has kind of found himself later in the year. This past weekend, withstanding, I think that uh, he has done a really good job uh, as a starting pitcher for us. If he comes back next year, 
I think we see that uh, Brandon's a guy that's been very competitive for us and put us in a position to win games, again, this Friday withstanding. Um, all of a sudden, you, your weekend rotation looks a little bit better. You're going into next year. You start thinking you get the Smiths back, Kate and Brandon. We'll see what happens with Preston. You know, I think Preston Johnson's got two. It's his second year. You know, so in 2020 didn't count for him either, even though he was in junior college. But uh, I think he's a guy too. You know, because of his size, could be a factor. Uh, he's a big, you know, physical guy that can throw uh, three pitches for strikes. You know, of course, we got to work on getting those home runs down. But uh, you know, Preston maybe a guy that has a decision to make. So. You're going to lose some guys, but I think you're going to return some guys, some draft eligible guys that perhaps that you, you're thinking you're not going to you're not going to get back. It is only a 20 round draft this year, which is uh, not what it used to be. You know, used to guys would you know they draft somebody 25, 26 round and then just kind of follow for now and for some bonus money left over, they would go back at them late before they went to school. So uh, we'll see how things go. But uh, no matter what the draft looks like, and no matter what the rest of the season looks like. In that last game at Duty Noble Field, it'd be really awesome if we had a lot of Bulldogs there to say goodbye to those that are moving on uh, because of their contributions to Mississippi State. You know, the chances of us getting to Omaha this year are pretty slim. You're right. But we've been three years in a row. We've had some, made some major memories with these guys. Let's make one more. All right, before we get out of here, I'd be remiss if I didn't remind you you can get a copy of Dogpile at dogpiletobook.com or other places that great books are sold in the great state of Mississippi. And so, you know, if you want to go back, if you if you're kind of want to relive the magic of that, I think I captured it in Dogpile. While you're there, you can get uh, Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains. And again, quantities of Stark Villains and Alpha Dogs are waning by the day. Matter of fact, I signed a bunch of books just yesterday and again we're not going to reprint villains or alpha dogs this year so if dad is a reader or maybe mom didn't get what she wanted for mother's day and she just kind of smiled her way through it maybe surprised her with a personalized copy one of my books go check it out and be glad you did but with father's day coming up you start thinking hey you know dad is really disappointed with baseball and he's a bit of a reader he doesn't have dog pile yet so maybe surprise him with dog pile for father's day it's a great father's day gift dogpilethebook.com if you're looking for blooms of oleander mom like if if the people bought you like uh bakeware or whatever and you're not a baker you know what i'm saying if there's all these gifts like last minute gifts people could get you stuff and they just kind of hope for the best um treat yourself go get blooms of oleander from uh you can get it at amazon barnesandnoble.com booksandmillion.com if you want it personalized call down to book martin cafe in downtown stark well i'm happy to go by and sign that for you campus book mart obviously uh, sells all of the books too so uh, when you're ordering through them, you can get some Mississippi State merch. But uh, that's where we are with all that stuff. And uh, your dad probably deserves a Stark Villain shirt, too. Uh, your dad's tough. He is. Your dad's been through the wars. Let him identify with others, the other Stark Villains. Go to StarkVillains.com, and you can order those shirts and have them delivered right to your door. All right, hopefully Wednesday we'll have some funner things to talk about. Of course, I'll be in Samford or in Hoover to play Samford uh, Tuesday night. And, uh, again, hope you guys can turn out and be a part of that, too. Uh, again, I know the season's not what we wanted it to be, and it's tough. It really is because we, we have grown accustomed to playing in an NCAA regional. And people forget, man, we've been in the Supers every year since 16. And now it doesn't look like we're going to make the tournament. And so this is a, a feeling we have not experienced, you know, in seven years since the 2015 series, a season. But one of the things that I would want to point out to you, too, is 2015 
we were dead last in the SEC. And we came out and won the SEC in 2016. We had guys like Nathaniel Lowe and Jack Kruger and Daniel Brown and some other guys show up. And a guy named Mangum was a freshman. And so I say that because I read sometimes with great interest, people say, oh, next year's going to be even worse. No, it's not. And you say, but Steve, you don't know that. You're right, I don't know that. And you don't know that it is. But I know that we have a great coaching staff. I know that we have a great administration. I know that we have a great nucleus of players. And I know that we have an incredible facility and the greatest fans in all of college baseball. I just wish we'd always act like it. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, do I expect next year to be better? I do. I'm eager to see what this team looks like in the fall. But uh, before we get there, let's see if we can make some memories and maybe play a little spoiler down the stretch and, you know, maybe go into Hoover and uh, shake some things up a little bit, you know. I remember back in 2018, and we thought all is lost, and number one Florida came in here, and we swept those guys and found our way into Hoover and ultimately into an NCAA regional. We win that thing at Southern Miss, and next thing you know, next thing you know, man, we win that super at Vanderbilt, and we're at Omaha, and we lose to the eventual NAFL champions in a regional final, you know, I guess in the bracket final. So crazy things can happen in baseball. I'm not saying I'm expecting them, but I'm also not ruling them out. But I believe in the M over S, and I know that you guys do too. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.